All right, Redemption Church, one more time. How are we feeling this morning? That's a little bit better. Good to be with you. My name is Vince. I'm one of the pastors here. Delighted to be able to worship and to sing and to open up God's Word. Uh, I've got a quick announcement that I want to say. I think Anthony will reiterate it again later. But coming up on November 1st, we will be moving these services inside. Okay? Yeah, it's ex- I mean, if you're excited, you can be excited. Uh, if you hate it, I guess there's a live stream option. And so uh, we, we tried. We want to be out here. We think outside has been great. It's been a real gift that we live in Flagstaff. All of our friends that, uh, that are in Phoenix, they've been trying to do outdoor services. They've already lost like hundreds of people to heat stroke. And so... Uh, we get the benefit of being in this beautiful place and what a gift it's been to be outside. Uh, but eventually that's going to change. And so you know how the weather here works. It could be 75 and sunny and then the next day be negative 15. Okay, like it's just the swings here are crazy. And so we're going to take the rest of October. We'll still be outside. But then November 1st, the first Sunday in November, uh, we're going to go back inside. So uh, we'll have a whole situation for guidelines and protocols and all that kind of stuff that we'll continue to share throughout this month. You can jump online and find those as well. But that's our plan. So November 1st, be excited. We're going to be back inside together. It should be a lot of fun uh, and should be safe and all that kind of stuff. And will give us a good opportunity to regather as we transition towards the end of the year. And so that's the plan. Be ready for it. It should be exciting. Otherwise, we are preaching through the Gospel of John. And so if you haven't been with us, quick snapshot, the Gospel of John. Gospel means good news. It's a documentary of the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. As told by John, Jesus' closest confidant and best friend, one that walked with Jesus. So we get to see firsthand what Jesus did, why he did it, and how that all worked out for our good in the Gospel. Okay, And so that's where we've been. Jesus has been establishing his authority. He's been arriving on the scene, speaking with people, miracles, the whole deal, beginning to usher in the kingdom of God. And you're going to hear that language today in this interaction with Jesus and this young man named Nicodemus. Now we'll talk more about who he is, but to give you a snapshot of what we get from this week and next week in these two weeks chronicling Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus, we get the term born-again Christian today, and then next week we get a look at John 3.16, maybe the most famous Bible verse in history. And so this is a packed interaction that we get to be a fly on the wall for, and we want to trust the Spirit of God to be able to constantly, as Jesus will do with Nicodemus, re-continuously reform and reorient our minds and hearts to look more like that of Christ In order to do that, we need the Spirit of God. So let's pray one more time. Let's ask the Spirit of God to do the work we cannot do, which is change us and make us like Jesus. Let's bow our heads. God, we thank you. We thank you for grace. We thank you for love. We thank you for the opportunity to gather. The gift that it's been to be outside. The gift that it will be to be back inside. And the gift we have of your word. Thank you for this interaction and this story that we get to look at and study and commend to ourselves and to our own hearts. Spirit of God, would you transform us with it? Will we truly learn the depths of what it means to find new identity in Jesus and in Jesus alone? That we are born again into your family. We are born again into a new identity and a new reality, Lord, and we need to remember that. 
because it is true. So would you bless us as we open your word now in Christ's name we pray, amen. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 3. If you have your Bible on you, if you have a phone, we always say that counts. Turn to John 3 on your app. Excuse me. We're going to be in verse 1. John 3 verse 1 says this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Okay, so before we get to what he said, let's talk Nicodemus for a bit, which will just kind of just be known as Nico for the rest of it. It's too much to say Nicodemus. So Nico, uh, who is this guy, okay? It says that he's a ruler of the Jews. We know through uh, history and through study that he is a Pharisee. Now, if you're unfamiliar with your kind of pre-Jesus, like we're talking B.C. Roman Jewish culture, uh, you might not know that a Pharisee was kind of one half of the ruling religious elite of the day during Jesus' time. Okay? So a couple hundred years prior to Jesus, these sects begin to arrive on the scene and grow in power. You had the Pharisees and you had the Sadducees. The Sadducees were kind of your rich, powerful elite that, that were one half of what was called the Sanhedrin. So a lot of terms here, but this was essentially the ruling elite party and, uh, and parliament even, if you will, over the Jewish people. The Sadducees were one half. The other part were the Pharisees, which this man, Nicodemus, Nico, is. Now, he was a ruler in that. He was part of this religious elite, part of the Sanhedrin. And the differences between the two are important. The Pharisees were pretty strict, legalistic, stuck to the law. Their goal was to achieve power through moving the Jewish people back to a, well, really their version of a pious life as based on the Jewish Old Testament law. The Sadducees sought to gain power through really engaging with the political realm, engaging with kind of the rich ruling elite that they could gain and wield power that way. So Nico, being a Pharisee, is coming to Jesus with this deep embedded legalistic view of the Old Testament to say righteousness is achieved, relationship with God is achieved through the lens of obeying the law, which on the front end, a good thing. Okay? Uh, wait, let me be very clear. The legalistic part, not so great. The part of we should obey the law, that's good. That the Old Testament law was a good thing for the people, for humanity. It's not something to be despised. Rather, something that Jesus himself said, I did not come to abolish, but rather to fulfill. And so we should not look down upon Nico, but rather try and understand where he was coming from and what Jesus is trying to expose in him that we could see what he's trying to expose in us. Now, Nico's going to say three things to Jesus in this interaction. We're going to look at those three things in three parts, and then we'll sum this up in conclusion. But we're going to see Jesus' response to Nico's, I mean, and it's not a lot. He doesn't say a lot, but we're going to see that in verse 2. Let's get started. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these, th- these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so Nico shows up, says, rabbi, teacher. These are uh, obviously terms of respect for Jesus. We don't know the depths to which he really bought into how much Jesus was these things, but we know he comes in a respectful tone to speak to Jesus. He says, you must come from God. Why? Because we've seen the signs and the signs that you're doing, no one could do unless God was behind them. At this point, Jesus has done the miraculous. There's things we see in the text, things we don't see in the text that Jesus has probably done that has pointed to, yeah, I'm legit. Like I'm the real deal. 
So Nico comes in. He's probably even maybe sent by the Sanhedrin, sent by the Pharisees to say, go check this dude out because there's some stuff that he's doing that that he shouldn't be doing. That doesn't really make sense. And so these signs show up. And so so Nico comes and says, teacher, are you from God? Jesus responds, truly, truly. Now, anytime you see Jesus say truly, truly, think about this. Everything Jesus says is true. So he's really trying to nail down a point here. Like truly, truly, like I promise. It's like one of those things where you're in conversation. You ever have when someone goes, honestly, and then they say something? And then you start to question, like, is what you say normally not honest? And you have to caveat this with honestly this time. With Jesus, it's always true. And yet he's doubling down, like, truly, truly. In other words, please listen to what I'm about to say. Truly, truly. No one, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What? Now this is, like, if you just look at this interaction... Nicodemus comes up, Jesus, you're awesome. I love you. The signs are great. You must come from God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You must, you must be born again. Like it's a very confusing response from Jesus to Nico coming up and saying, yeah, yeah like I like you. That's, that's great, man. But if you want to see the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. So in this, we see in Jesus' response really what's going on in the heart of Nicodemus because Jesus always seeing the heart of people went right to what he's really aiming for. So we can begin to learn that Nicodemus wasn't coming just to praise Jesus, but he was coming to find the kingdom of God. And he saw these signs and said, okay, I want more of that. Like, I see what you're doing here, and I like that, and I can wrap my mind around that. That makes sense to us. You must be from God. Is there more signs? And Jesus says, okay, if you really want to see the kingdom of God, if you really want to see what you're actually after, it takes far more than signs. It takes far more than your uh, ability to mentally check in or mentally to ascend to what's going on here. Because when Nico comes to Jesus, it's not a faith move, it's a response to what he's seen. And there's a big difference with Jesus. Jesus will call us to faith in him, not a mental assent to what he's done or can do. Jesus is not this vending machine where you put something in and then you get the candy you want. He's saying, no, no, I want faith. We'll talk more about that next week as we see how this can be accessed. But to continue on with Jesus' call out of Nicodemus here. Nico, it's far bigger than what you think. You think just signs. I'm telling you, the kingdom of God is at hand. You see, a sign is good, but a sign is not the kingdom. How many people have ever been to Disneyland? It's by a show of hands. It's pretty exciting, decent place, okay? If you get off at exit, or as you're driving down the I-5, if you're going north, you'll begin to see signs for Disneyland, right? It says, Disneyland, five miles, and the anticipation just starts to build. You're like, oh my gosh, this is about to get good. Four miles, three miles. And then at one mile, it's exit 109 off the I-5. I used to live in Southern California. We had season passes for the whole year. If you were a local and a student, it was only 99 bucks for the whole year. Yeah, see, I talk about Jesus, nothing. Disneyland for 100 bucks, woo-hoo! Just kidding. You get off that exit, 
at exit 109, Catella Avenue, and it says Disneyland right below. You're so close. And the best part is that you get off at that sign, and then you stop there, and you just hang out, right? No. You keep driving. Why? Because the destination is not the sign that says Disneyland. The destination is Disneyland. If you saw a whole bunch of cars parked at the sign that said exit 109 Catella Avenue, Disneyland, you would think they were foolish. Why are you wasting your time here? This is just a sign. And so Jesus is calling out to Nico saying, hey, you're chasing after something that ultimately is just a pointer. It's not the destination. I want to invite you in to the destination. I want you to come into a deeper understanding of what you're being invited into, Nico. Nico, you think that you've been able to understand. Again, remember his background as a Pharisee. He's trying to mentally, att- uh, mentally ascend. He's trying to understand. He's trying to obey the law. He's trying to do all these things of his own merit that he could gain something that wasn't even the greatest gift that was offered in Christ. And so that's the context. That's the first interaction. The second line goes like this, verse 4. <coughs> Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound. But do you not know where it comes from or where it goes? So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. And so Nico's first response to Jesus saying, access to the kingdom of God comes through being born again was, what? Which is a fair response. Wait, how? How can that be possible? Are you, are you saying, Jesus, you, you want me to go find my mother, re-enter her womb, and then be reborn, right? And every mother here said, no, thank you. It was difficult having the eight-pound leave, let alone the 150 come back in. Like this rite of passage had really gone from circumcision to we're putting humans back in people. The question makes sense to me because the idea is somewhat wild. The idea, okay, when Jesus, okay, I, Jesus, you're great. I want to follow, I want, let me, like, teach me, tell me some things. I'm loving the signs. Yeah, 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 be born again. Like, that would, this would be my response. What are you talking about, be born again? It's a legitimate question, I think, at least coming from the place. And I, here's the thing. I love Nicodemus's honesty here. Because so often I find that we're in conversations and oftentimes it goes like, hey, you know, we try and prove that we're always in the know, especially in the culture that we're in now. I love his honesty. Be like, actually, just no, I don't get that. That doesn't make sense to me. Recently, uh, how many people, we don't need, I'm not trying to get political, how many people watched the debate the other night? Okay, it's a few nights ago, you guys probably watched the debate. So Jimmy Kimmel he does this thing called lie witness news. And I don't know if you guys have seen these, but essentially what he does is he sends some of his correspondents out to the streets and they interview people and they interview them on fake stories just to see if they'll pretend they know what's going on. And so the question was like, hey, did you see the debate last night when the debate had yet to happen for another 24 hours? And so they go up, hey, have you seen the, did you watch the debate last night? They're like, yeah, of course. 
Of course, they watched the debate, which they didn't because it hadn't happened yet. And the best part of this segment, the question was, what was your favorite part of the debate? They asked this one guy. Was it when President Trump pulled up on a motorcycle? When Kanye West stole the microphone from Joe Biden? Or when Joe Biden bit Donald Trump on the arm? Now, you would hope the guy would be like, okay, actually, I didn't watch it. Okay. He goes, oh, Kanye, for sure. I mean, I was like, what? I mean, I expected him to do it, but he actually did it? What? That was his response. We have this craving to pretend that we're in the know. And here's why this is important. I think that reality that we have deeply embedded in us to almost pretend like we've arrived to pretend that we've read more than we've read, we know more than we know, it keeps us from our pursuit of Jesus. There's this sense of like, okay, I have to, I have to, just, I have to just kind of be in this. I have to just know. I have to put on this show or something like that. And Jesus is trying to strip this away. And I love this picture of Nicodemus where we can look at him and say, oh, foolish guy, you didn't understand born again. I wouldn't understand born again. And I love the fact that he said, no, I don't get it. So will you please teach me? And church, I don't know if there's something more important for us as the church as to realize we are not in heaven yet. And so the desire and the motivation of the heart of the Christian must always be, I don't know, Lord, teach me. I don't get it, Jesus. Like, I don't fully understand the gospel. I don't fully get what it means to be holy. I don't understand why your love would so send you to the cross for my sins. Like, I I don't fully get it. Lord, would you teach us? And listen, it will change the way you read the Bible. It will change the way you pray. It will change the way you come to a Sunday morning. Because this stops being a moment where we just do something and becomes a moment where we trust the Spirit of God to change us for his glory. Lord, I don't know. Please teach me. I love this picture of Nicodemus. That being said, Jesus is going to continue to teach him. He says this, again with the truly, truly, you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again of water and of the spirits versus being born of the flesh. The flesh, that's easy. We get that. You were born again. We don't need to describe the birds and the bees this morning. He's like, okay, you get born in the flesh, that's fine. That's first birth. I'm talking something different. Now, this is not new information, even for the reader of the Gospel of John. Because in John 1, 12, just earlier as we've studied, he says this, but to all, John 1, verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so right in the beginning, in the preamble, in the setup for the gospel, John's saying that a key theme will be constantly born again, born again, new identity, rebirth, not just your first identity, not just where you came out of, but rather, what is God doing next in rebirth? Now, God also spoke about this multiple times throughout the Old Testament, and hence why Jesus is coming at Nicodemus, because he's like, Nico, you're a man of the law. You're a Jew and a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jewish elite. You should know this, that in Ezekiel 36, it says this. 
Verse 25, if you want to take it down, if you're looking, Ezekiel 36, verse 25 says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. He's saying, Nico, no, no, no. See, you're missing it, pal. There's something bigger, something deeper, this new thing I'm doing, this rebirth and this new identity. But let me tell you, this is not really a new thing. I've been pointing to this since the beginning. I've been trying to show you that there's something bigger that I'm doing. And taking a creation and making it a new creation. In rebirth is where the kingdom of God will come. And so he points Nicodemus back to his own law. And you see the kindness of Jesus here. Because Nicodemus should have known Ezekiel 36. Nicodemus should have known when he first interacted with Christ that there's something bigger going on. But you see the beauty and the love of Christ that he continues to move closer to Nicodemus to try and love him and serve him so that he would be able to understand. That the goodness and the graciousness of God, Jesus, the Spirit of God, is that for all of us who would seek to even remain ignorant, or would not understand is that the grace of God will continue to pursue us that we might know. That God's patience and forbearance and love will take our ignorance, will take our rejection and say, no, 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 I'm going to move past that in love. So you see the way Jesus moves towards this man. John Calvin has this quote. He says, By the word born again, the Apostle John means not the amendment of a part, but the renewal of the whole nature. Again, church, Jesus is calling this, this new thing, this rebirth, this new creation, it doesn't just impact a segment of your life. It must impact the whole. Otherwise, listen, it's not rebirth. It's just behavior modification. It's just a hobby you've added to your life. It's something new that we've scheduled in. What Jesus is trying to call Nicodemus, and I'm saying our church and not just our church, but the church, the people of God, and the world who would listen is to say, listen, I'm here to completely make you a whole new thing. That which you were, you won't be anymore. Second Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he, she is a new creation, which means the old has gone and the new has come. Has some of the old remained? No, 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 the old has gone. You are not what you once were. You are new, reborn, new identity. Church, this is who you are if you are in Christ. 
There is no, no, no other identity, no other thing that should take your allegiance by your time or be able to shape who you are outside of this primarily. Does that mean that you're not a father? That's not part. Yes, being a father is part of your identity. Being a husband, part of your identity. Being a contractor, whatever, part of, surely the primary part of you. It might even be the best way to say it is, no, all of you is God's, and then he just has you do some different roles in life. But what we've done is we've just kind of placed this Christian identity alongside all the others. And so you're like, okay, well, I'll take a little bit of this. And so I'm a Christian, yes, uh, but I'm also a, a father, that's good. We commend that. Uh, I'm a roommate, I'm a engineer, I'm a, and then here's where we, here, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, I'm a, insert the ideologies of our day, I line up here, I line up there, I believe this, I believe that, and all of those things, all of a sudden, again, when put alongside the identity of Christ, degrade who you are in Jesus. You are his. You are new. The rest of it falls in line with that. It's not alongside it. It's below it and must be seen through the lens of it. If we are actually new creation. <clears throat> Let's look at Nico's third and last line with Jesus. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things, you do not believe. How can, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. Nicodemus' response to that whole piece again was, What? And Nicodemus not contributing a ton to the conversation. Be born again. What? You want to see the kingdom of God? This is what it looks like. What? And Jesus' response. You don't understand. I know you don't. But you really should. This has been here all along. Nico, pay attention, buddy. I mean, he puts this thing out. He's like, listen, if... If you want to understand this, what, what, what deeper, why should I go deeper with you? Which makes the last line that he shares with Nicodemus all the more beautiful. Because you would kind of sense that from this passage, Jesus might be done. Like he's like, look, dude, I tried. Right? I, I tried to teach you, but you don't get it. So why should I go on further? And yet the love of Jesus again moves forward. And I love his line, who has descended from heaven and ascended again? Like who, who's done that? And again, if you've been with us, the descending, ascending language that's now the second time brought up here, hearkening us back to the Old Testament and to Jesus now being the mediator of God and man. But who's done that? And I love the way he says, he's like, and who's descended from heaven? Who will be raised up? And he's like, oh, me, I'm that guy. In other words, Nicodemus, don't listen to anyone else. I'm your teacher now. Follow me. Listen to me. 
What other person, what other teacher, what other person of influence in your life has done what I've done? Who else is the Lord of creation? Again, church, we need to wake up and say, are we being informed by teachers that are not Jesus? primarily. This doesn't mean we don't find other teachers to listen to. If that were true, you shouldn't be here right now listening to me. But at the end of the day, who shapes your identity? And who shapes your worldview? Who shapes how you live out this new identity, primarily? And let's just be real honest and real straightforward. And this is an indictment upon me as well. If I spend more time on Facebook than I do in the Bible, Jesus is not my primary informer. If I spend more time on YouTube and watching whatever news channel I want, Jesus has stopped being my primary informer. The only way we can get around that is if you think you've already arrived and you know everything. If you know everything, okay, well then great. Jesus is the primary informer, so now go take in other stuff because you've already arrived. You've got it all figured out. But if we can all ascend to, if we can understand, if we could believe, we haven't arrived. You're not perfect. You don't know everything. And either do I. Like Nicodemus, I don't get it, so teach me more. Then the first place we need to be is in the scriptures. The second place is in commentaries and books that help us understand some of the scriptures because we don't all have time to sit down and parse the Greek. Then we can start taking in some other stuff. We wonder why the church is fractured, we wonder why we have all these debates about ancillary things. We wonder why we can't unite around what seems to be common issues that Jesus would care about. It's because Jesus has stopped teaching his church, not because of him, but because of us. Now, if that's not your story, like you're one who wakes up, you know, you're up at four, we got one of our pastors at Tempe is up at 4 a.m. every morning. Prayer, word. And yet he would hear this and say yes and amen. Because we have not arrived. Jesus, teach us. And may we not be bought into the lie that we can seek out other teachers before him and yet still claim him as our teacher. This is what Nicodemus is trying to do. I believe all this stuff over here, but I want a little bit of what you're doing, Jesus. I'm liking the signs. She said, no, no, we're, we're doing something bigger. I'm making people new. And those new people continually return to me to learn. So again, this is what makes this last part of what Jesus does such good news for him and for us. Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, Jesus, again, instead of just backing away from Nico, says, I'm going to try again to try and explain to you what I'm doing. Me, follow me, we'll be saved. And so he points him to the gospel. 
trying to pull Nicodemus from his legalistic view of how he could attain God and the kingdom of God. This whole thing is a microcosm of the beautiful nature of salvation that it is all done by him. Depending on who you read, Jonathan Edwards or William Temple, they, whoever gets ascribed this quote, says the only thing of our very own which we contribute to our salvation is the sin which makes it necessary. The only thing that we bring to salvation is the sin with which caused Jesus to go to the cross, to cause him to be raised up. And that same call to us is the same thing he's doing with Nico. Nico, like there's something else and it's in me. Look to me. Not to the law. Look to me. I'm here. I will be raised up for this. This is good news for us, friends. This is good news because if this whole salvation, new identity, kingdom of God attaining thing was based on what you could mentally understand and check into, we have no hope. Because even if you could kind of wrap your mind around a part of it now, probably in six months you'll forget again. The beauty of what Jesus is doing here, the good news is that Jesus is calling to Nico and to the church to say, it's all me. Just look to me. I am where new life and new identity are found. Now, what does this all mean? We'll talk in depth next week about that idea of believe and to look to Jesus in faith and what that looks like as we look at John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that all who would believe in his name will be saved. We'll talk more about faith and belief next week as the access to this idea. But hopefully this builds in us a craving to walk out and to live out the new identity we've been given. As we land here, John gives a handful of things. Not here in the Gospel of John, but in his letter, 1 John, which is towards the end of your scriptures. And if you'd want to turn there, we're going to look at real quickly five quick verses. In 1 John 2, verse 29. And all of these talk about what does it mean to live out this new birth. <clears throat> if you know that he is righteous... You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. How do we know we've been born again? We practice righteousness. We're not always perfect at it, but we're practicing. Anybody ever play sports or music? Like you work at it. You, you pursue this thing. You try and get better at righteousness. Not because by doing so, that makes you born again, but because you're born again, you pursue righteousness. 1 John 3, 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Those born of God do not continue to pursue sin outside of repentance. We don't just think our sin's not a big deal and continue to pursue it. If our lives are characterized by that, 
we must do the hard work of navigating are we born of him or are we still only born of the flesh? It's a difficult thing to navigate. Don't do it on your own. Please come and meet and talk to your mentor, your RC, or be with people to navigate these realities. Because the gospel is simple and complex at the same time in many ways. 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. You're born of God if you love. If you don't love, you're not born of God. 1 John 5, 1, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Again, we love each other, and we love God. 1 John 5, 4, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, that in faith, when we are born again, the world does not control the church or the Christian. We do not bow to its powers. We bow only to his. Now hear me, that does not mean anarchy for the church. Please don't take what I just said and mean we don't have to listen to anything. Jesus himself calls us to submit to the governors and to pray for the leaders in our world. 1 John 5.18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. The good news of all of this is in the midst of our pursuit of righteousness, our pursuit of holiness, that Jesus protects us. That Jesus is with us. And that just sounds so obvious to the church these days, like, oh, Jesus is with us. No, he's, and Jesus is with his people. Jesus walks with us. This is fantastic news for us. And it's fantastic news for Nicodemus. I land with the rest of his story because it's just interesting. He has this interaction and then it ends with what we just said. And you just begin to wonder, like, whatever happened to this guy? So what, what was his response to that last call of, just like the serpent, does he ever look to the serpent? Does he ever look to Jesus and be saved? He shows up twice more in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 7, it says, Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? The Sanhedrin has gathered Nicodemus, again, part of that ruling elite. But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied, are you from Galilee too? And so the next time we see Nicodemus is he's advocating for Christ as they seek to condemn him. And so even in his position, we don't think he's a believer at this point, but we know he's an ally in some ways. Fighting for the cause of Christ, even though not one of him. John 19, at the end of the Gospel of John, verse 38 through 40, says this. After these things, which is talking about the death of Jesus, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who had early had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews." 
And that is the last we ever hear of Nicodemus. His name doesn't even pop up in antiquity books, so we don't know. But man, I so desire to believe, and I think it's there. I don't think it's too much of a reach to say that the man who would go and cover the crucified Jesus with a whole lot of expensive spices in his death and in his burial was one that all of a sudden had had his life transformed. That over the three years of seeing Jesus' ministry and his calling to new life and rebirth had himself been reborn. And at great sacrifice to himself, it's not a good look when the enemy of Jesus is helping bury Jesus. And so we see in his story a bit, hopefully, of our own. Again, of this constant pursuit of trying to figure out the things of Christ and to know Jesus as a person who is still alive. To engage with him, to acknowledge our own ignorance and desire for more, to pursue him through the scriptures and through one another. And to ultimately go all the way to serve him even at great detriment to self if need be. That all of a sudden, when we are made new in rebirth, all of our lives are all for Jesus. And at any moment, we would give them up for him. That's what it means to be made new in Christ. That's how we see the kingdom of God, is by being his. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the kingdom of God. Thank you for your grace. And thank you for this interaction. That we get to see this life. We get to see this time where Jesus, you went and talked to a guy. And in grace, you loved him. And I believe God unto his own salvation. That you pursued him and showed him grace and mercy. God, as you've done to us. So Lord, help us now as we seek to just be honest with ourselves. As we seek to truly, we do desire to have you be our teacher. So God, convict us where we're being taught in other places. Convict us of our pride that thinks we've arrived. And lead us, Lord, in a life that is fully submitted to you because that is just who we are now. Born of water and spirit. God, we love you, we thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.